I'm Sebastian Rekahoff. And my name is Rowan Wood. And this is Across the Stars, where if it's Star Wars, we cover, we cover it. it. And uh, so today we have a... Yes. Yeah. We do have a special guest today. Um, joining us is Dr. Mark Wright. Um, and um, later on, we will be discussing uh, the Golden Age, and just in general Star Wars video games, but specifically the Golden Age of LucasArts and their, uh, their wide array of uh, Star Wars playable games. But first, whenever we have a guest on, we ask them, what is their Star Wars origin story? How did they originally get into Star Wars in the first place? So Dr. Wright, um, how were you first introduced to the universe of Star Wars? Uh, so actually, unlike J.J. Abrams, I actually started as a Star Trek fan. Um, but then I think it was 1995, um, but sort of this gradual lead up to the prequels, um, Lucasfilm re-released the original trilogy without any of these other changes he did, with all remastered on PHX, on these, um, PHS tapes, and they all began with really interesting interviews between George Lucas and the film critic Leonard Malkin. So getting the original trilogy remastered but not retouched um, is what got me into it. And those are probably real collector's items now because they've really buried those original cuts. Um, but it was, it was starting out and then the next year, that's when um, the special editions, you know, you're putting Job of the Heart back episode four, are getting re-released in theaters. And then a year after that, uh, a year or two after that, was Phantom Menace. But the problem is, we all kind of went through that, having, you know, seen all these original movies and kind of went out and said, what, 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 what was that? What did I just watch? Um, and so I think I was sort of that last group who came in with just the original films. Um, and then we got to bitch about the prequels for about 10 years. Um, so did you, so when, so the prequels came out, so like, would you say that was your, like your generation of Star Wars? Yeah, cause I, I was in eighth grade when Phantom Menace came out. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, so in Revenge of the Sith was what, 2005. So that was my, that would have been my sophomore year of college. So it, yeah, it was really kind of just across high school. Um, like the sequel trilogy was coming out. Mm -hmm. But that was also the same time, remember, it overlapped with Lord of the Rings, which was the other big trilogy at the time. Yeah. Um, and Sebastian and I have stated our opinions on the sequel trilogy on the show before, um, but what so just I, I mean we could do an entire episode on this and we will but uh just simply and surely dr wright what are your thoughts on force awakens last jedi and rise of skywalker if it can be even summed up in a sentence or two uh, i think it's still gonna be a while to come up with a good summation of those um for what it was at the time i thought force awakens was good but the, it, it suffers from the same J.J. Abrams movie problem where the closer you look at them, the worse they are. Um, this is true of the Star Trek films as well. Uh, I think The Last Jedi, I, I'll admit it has issues, but I think we're trying to do something new. So I have a lot of esteem for that movie. And um, couldn't stand Rise of Skywalker. It's just soulless, corporate, trying to please everyone. So ultimately, 
um, pleasing no one. And it's this weird, it's, I, maybe it's just because Martin's already gone through their growing pains with directors of trying to negotiate between their house style and what individual directors uh, kind of want to do with it. And maybe they've just been lucky to, to get people like Taika Waikiki and the Russo brothers. But Disney never quite figured that out when it came to the Star Wars movie. Um, and I don't, uh, you know, have with Rogue One, have to uh, Rise of Skywalker, and um, Solo, also kind of infamously. So I, I don't know. I think it's something they kind of take a break because I think when you compare what Marvel did with what Disney's done with Star Wars, one of them had a lot of planning, maybe less than we kind of imagine. Um, but once you have none, um, I sometimes see stuff on the internet where people are like, um, Disney's going to completely just, uh, ignore the sequel trilogy and kind of start off from scratch. And, you know, when you start to read it, it's evolved into this kind of like particular abrasive critic of The Last Jedi, but they're going to get rid of Kathleen Kennedy and all these other female characters and, um, I think at this time I'm just going to move on to Secret Trilogy because I just remember the last Jedi discourse got so toxic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Um, so to move on again, we could like we could talk for hours upon hours upon, uh, on the sequel trilogy, which we will eventually. Um, but for now, oh, yeah. yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, and so. This, uh, today's episode's topic, as I mentioned before, is um, the golden age of Star Wars video games. Now, personally, I will not be talking as much in this episode because I am relatively new to the world of video games, so I am not as qualified or at, at all qualified to discuss uh, the, like, the mechanics and stuff of video games. Um, so I think, Sebastian, I should just... Uh, bestow my m- m- talking powers on you for now um, because I feel like you would have a more fitting introduction for this than I ever could. Um, well, I, I suppose I don't really know what we need in terms of an introduction here, but um, I believe um, it was... Uh, I, I, f- I forgot your name again. I'm so sorry. Um, I, I just... Just Dr. Wright. All right. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, Dr. Wright, um, I think, probably has a better idea than I do because he was actually around for the golden age that we're going to talk about. But even years later, you know, you still see, uh, you know, you still hear about this golden age where LucasArts was, like, pumping out quality games, right? I've had the joy of, again, to play a couple of them myself. Like, when quarantine first started, um, I spent a bunch of time playing the Dark, forces and jedi knight games um and that was like what i spent most of my days doing when quarantine started but um but i think you i I, i'm really excited to hear about um sort of like what it was like to consistently get out you know what are what were genuinely generally uh reviewed as like really great uh, Star Wars games because you also had like the X-Wing games you had Knights of the Old Republic you had 
all these other ones. Meanwhile, in this day and age, you know, we have Fallen Order, we have Battlefront too, but they, you know, Star Wars games don't come out very often nowadays. And um, I feel like there's a lot less like looking forward to them as there, as one would expect. Yeah, because a lot of the stuff now is sort of the, the cheap tie-ins like Angry Birds, Star Wars, or they're doing a, a pack with The Sims 4 and a bunch of Star Wars stuff they're putting in because EA, Electronic Arts has the license now. But it was, it was probably about, about 12 years, from like 92 when LucasArts got the license, the Star Wars license, um, so maybe like 2005 of the last Jedi Knight games, where it, it was just pretty consistent quality. All the time, and I think some bad ones. Have any of you ever heard of this game called Star Wars Masters of Terrace Coffee? Yes, I did hear of That's the fighting game? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like, what if you did Tekken but Star Wars? Um, there's this weird offhand reference to it in Solo um, mm-hmm. that uh, I'm really Clark's character talks about. But the weirdest thing about it is it's supposed to be this unarmed fighting style, and yet half the characters in it are arms. Who's got his lightsaber? Han Solo's got his blaster. Um, but LucasArts actually as a company goes back. Um, in 1979, now that Star Wars was made it big, um, George Lucas started spinning off other companies. He already had Industrial Light Magic from making Star Wars and Skywalker Sound, but in 79 he made something called the Lucasfilms Game Group. And there were two divisions. There was a, a games group, and in 1982, that became LucasArts. And there was a graphics group, and they eventually split off. The graphics group became Pixar. And now Disney owns all of it. So during the 1980s, you know, all these other software companies like Atari and stuff, they had the Star Wars license, but most of them are just doing games that are with the technology of the time. They're just trying to replicate different moments from the film, like the Death Star Trench Run, fighting TIE fighters, the Battle of Han, um, stuff like that. So it wasn't until 92 that LucasArts now has the Star Wars license. Because until then they were mostly making um, adventure games, a lot of classic adventure games like Maniac Mansion, the Monkey Island series, Bay of the Tentacle, Full Throttle, Sam and Matt, Fate of Atlantis, which is the best Indiana Jones um, movie outside of the original trilogy, even though it's a game. Um, and the, the last one they did was called Big Fandango in 2003, which is a really fantastic game. And a lot of these, luckily, you can still get, you know, like Steam and good old games and stuff like that. But they'd also make things, one was called the Scum Engine, which was a script editor for adventure games, um, using sort of a verb object kind of set. And then, and this is important for the Star Wars games, something called the iMuse Engine. And the way that iMuse worked is that it would try to, um, it would try to key the track to what was happening in the story on screen. So it's like a dangerous moment, the track would shift to some kind of like dangerous, suspenseful music. What this is so much easier to illustrate in a Star Wars game because it basically means you have this massive John Williams file where the Star Wars track that you're familiar with dynamically changed based on what's happening in the game. It's not the Dark Wars, it's too. Mm-hmm. So they removed that from the Star Wars game. But the first ones they did, what I think really separates the LucasArts ones from uh, even the ones that they make now for the most part, or these old arcade ones, is that they're trying to tell um, 
original stories. It's sort of like the expanded universe novels that were coming out at the same time. So mm-hmm. you might have Luke Skywalker makes an appearance or Darth Vader's there, but they're not the central characters. And the game's story might kind of intersect with the films in some way, but for the most part, they're trying to kind of tell um, their own story. So like X-Wing, the first one they did, like yeah, it was a Death Star mission, um, and there's some and there's some stuff uh, kind of reflecting that. But for the most part, it's kind of like filling in what else is going on while Luke is having his adventure in Episode Four. Um, and the other games they had done besides adventure games were sort of World War One and World War Two kind of fighter pilot sim. They just kind of adapted that to be space with the Star Wars stuff. And I think that X-wing and then Tie Fighter the next year. Um, which is, I asked my friend Kevin at my age, he teaches English at Howard University, and I asked him, uh, you know, we played all the same games with kids, you know, often together. Which one um, do you remember best and most fondly in a TIE Fighter? Because it's, it's such a good game. It's much harder because TIE Fighters don't have shields. But what makes it interesting is if you look at stories like now like Battlefront 2, where you start playing as an Imperial, but it's always the Imperial who sees, wait a second, it's like that moment in, um, in one of those uh, Edgar Wright movies where the guy goes, wait, are we the bad guys? And then they join the rebellion. But a young yeah. fighter, no. You're a hardcore Imperial. You join a cult, like for the Emperor at one point. Um, and you just go very hardcore into it. You're mostly fighting for um, not Vader, because that might have been a little too weird, but for Grand Admiral Thrawn, who's kind of been let back into canon now. Um, and so, like, actually kind of covers, like, episodes four to right before Hoth, and TIE Fighter covers from Hoth to right before um, It's a Trap and Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I just want to say that I, I completely agree with you on the issue with the Battlefront 2 storyline where it, it's, I was so disappointed when the, the main character item just all of a sudden switches to the light side and it was, yeah, it was, it was quite a disappointment. I, I think, I'm hopeful, I don't know yet, but Empire. 
Um, and that one sort of covers basically Return of the Jedi. You end up flying the Millennium Falcon at the end against the second Death Star. And it was a, kind of a real return to form for Nights of Worthy's Firefighter, but that was the last one they ever really did. It was just in parallel, at the same time, there's a series of games, the same genre, this like space combat sim called Wing Commander, which also had a very terrible movie saying Freddy Prince Jr. in the late 90s. <laughs> and those games were about, you'd say humans fighting these big cat aliens called the Kilwapi. And um, eventually, in uh, 94, 95, they, instead of having like FMV, uh, so like CG cutscenes, they did full motion videos. They got real actors in against screen screens. And they got big name actors like John Reese Davies was in it, Malcolm McDowell. But who did they get to play the big hero, Commander Blair? Mark Goddamn L. <laughs> Um, it, I don't, all of these games, you actually, you can't tell them about a joystick. Um, so these, these are ones I couldn't really try because I don't have one. Um, the one I had is really good, but I don't think it would work with any new computer. But they still sell joysticks. And the nice thing is that these games are still pretty widely available online. Mm-hmm. Um, the tough thing sometimes when you're talking about old video games is depending on how obscure they are, they might not be really accessible unless you like find a, a ROM or something like that. Oh, for example, they re-released a bunch of old Mario games on the Switch in October. But um, if you're like me, you never got a GameCube. I've never been able to play like Mario Sunshine um, mm-hmm. or a number of GameCube games for that matter. Um, and you know, when you have a company like Nintendo that really sits on their stuff and re-releases it, kind of like Disney with their vault. Um, it could be really, you know, there's like chunks of video game history, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I have the same sort of issue with, um, like, obviously I was, I was born in 2002, so that I missed out on like a massive chunk of, you know, video game history. So now I get to, I have to sort of go back and see what I can, I can find, and that's why, you know, when I, if you look at my Steam wish list, like half of it is, is games from, you know, like early 2000s and like late 90s or something like that. Um, and it's, I, 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 I also love whenever like they make it more available as, as you said, because I think that that's, you know, it's, it's great to be able to play things that you, you don't really have the chance to anymore. Yeah, and I think what's nice for someone your guys' age is that there's a real um, nostalgia market for people my age um, who maybe okay, I don't have a Windows 95 computer anymore, <laughs> um, and I don't know how to update the game the way I hope someone else can. Um, so that that was that was the first thing they tried, but there was another kind of more arcadey one, and it, it produced two games, and it was called Rebel Assault. And Rebel Assault 1, you play this character called Rookie 1, but it's basically just Episode 4. Um, Mark Rebel's the best star. Um, they, even, they even reused some footage from Episode 4. Um, could, I think if you look at a YouTube video for like a long play of it now, it's an hour. Um, but it's on rails, so it's a very predetermined course. You can fly back and forth, shoot some stuff. And that's about it. The second one 
which actually was when we got our first like kind of decent computer as a family for this one. It's a whole completely original story, but this is when, like with Wing Commander, now they're bringing in live actors, not famous ones, um, again, screen screens, uh, to tell this original story about like this um, secret new TIE fighter with a cloaking device, things that you see a lot in Star Trek, but never in Star Wars. Um, has there ever been a cloaking device in one of the movies? Um, I know that there was one in an episode of The Clone Wars, but I can't think of one in well, I know in the action. I know Darth Maul's ship has a cloaking device. That's right. But I don't know if they but ever they specifically used. reference it or it's used in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I mean, I know some you know some ships have hidden from radar like obi-wan's in episode two and the falcon in episode five but i don't you know i don't know how much that has to do with stealth and how much that has to do with actual mechanics of the ship but yeah yeah i think this one i feel like that stuff is more at least the one with the falcon in episode five that's um thinking more like like submarine movies and submarine combat which is funny. I mean, that's in a lot of sci-fi movies in the 80s. It's the whole climax of um, Rathacon, with the little nebula. They can't really see it's about each other, and they're just kind of lurking there. Um, so you mentioned Dark Forces earlier. That's kind of the other one. These are all coming up like 92, 93. And Dark Forces was, what if it was Doom, but Star Wars? Um, and one thing I hadn't realized that... <laughs> what? I said that that's exactly why I bought it. I had just played like Doom and Wolfenstein. I saw Dark Force and I said, wow, this looks like Doom, but it's Star Wars. <laughs> I didn't know is that, because I think I played Dark Force before I played Doom, is that you, you, you couldn't really look up too much or look down in Doom. Dark Forces is the one that um, added that into the interface. So you could look, you could look around in a, in a more of a 3D area. But... Um, What's funny now, in retrospect, is that the first level of that game is Rogue One. Because that's what you're doing, you're stealing this stuff then. Yeah. And then, it, and then it becomes, you know, this whole other, oh yeah, an original story. It's a good example of where the, the car just intersect with the films. Because, you know, they have those plans that it gets R2-D2 somehow. I let him just go off in this whole, you know, dark with the project. Um, and so, and then the Yeah, um, I think, uh, um, you can also talk a time, but then, um, even in the Imperial Handbook, it'll reference the, um, the dark troopers and like it describes both of the the forms of them that you face in the game and yeah. so yeah the, the it, it's pretty great i'm glad you brought up the extended universe stuff though because i think it's important to know that as all these games are coming out um so are the expanded universe novels um mm-hmm. have, have you read any of those like the older ones that are now not canon or whatever no, I never did a whole lot of um, Star Wars reading. I um, I read a few of them. I, I I have a bunch of them upstairs. My favorite, 
was the Jedi Academy trilogy, basically what I think they took the most from when making the sequel trilogy. Uh, Luke, you know, has a bunch of Jedi in an academy, and all the other characters are up to something. Um, but yeah, that was probably... Those are the ones that I remember the most of the Legends books that I read. Those were the first ones I read, the Jedi Academy trilogy. And I think they have aged the least with me, because mm-hmm. the more I have read of Kevin J. Anderson, the less esteem I have for him for a writer. Like, if you... If you go to like a hardcore Dune fan and mention that guy's name, oh, look at a pocket book. Because that's what he, that's all he does now is he does all the Dune sequel prequel stuff with Frank Herbert's son, and they are uh, they are not as good. Um, the original, like e- even the later Dune books, like when Frank Herbert was getting older, was getting into the seventies, and he starts putting in a lot of his um, weird ideas about sex into the books. Um, which thankfully George Lucas never really did. Gene Roddenberry never really did with um, with Star Trek. Um, but he just like one of the dumbest characters in those books is Kip Duron, who is a mass murderer. Um, and then everyone just kind of forgives, even though he still has issues. Kylo Ren is much better done. Yeah. And then the Sun Crusher, Ooh, that they yeah. have to just like send into a black hole or something. Um, so. All of these are coming out. The ones that started were the Harris and the Empire trilogy with Timothy Vaughn, and a lot of those are kind of getting readapted in. Mm-hmm. Vaughn is the big, the big one out of those books. Um, but the reason I bring that up is one of the other big creations in Harris and the Empire, which has still not made it back into canon, is Mara Jade. And in Jedi Knight, there's an expansion pack called Mistress of the Sith, and you're not playing Kyle Katarn, you're playing Mara Jade, trying to find Kyle Katarn. And so the games are really start increasingly begin to interact with what the novels are trying to do. Because like I wanted to add, I think some of the best Star Wars novels of the old ones were um, these two guys, uh, Michael Stackpole, I can't remember the other guy, um, but they just took the X-Wing games and made a book series out of them. It's called X-Wing. I think, and uh, there's maybe five of those, and there's a, and there's a sister series called Rape Squadron, which is just the more kind of eyes who have to fly X-Wing. And they're really good. Um, they're, they're probably some of the better Star Wars books, and better written Star Wars books out there. And the other guy whose name I can't remember right now, the one is not Stackpole, um, he's also really good about um, kind of using his novels to kind of fix weird things with the other novels. But some of them haven't aged very well. There's one... Um, called The Courtship of Princess Leia, which is trying to tell the story of how Han and Leia ended up together. And uh, the sexual politics of that have not ended, have not aged well, because what happens, she's, Leia's gonna marry this like prince or whatever, so <laughs> Han buys a planet and kidnaps her and takes her there and hopes that, look, I bought you a new planet because you just got blown up, remember? Um, <laughs> and of course the crazy thing is it works but the funny thing is one of the big planets in that book is Dathomir and so the Night Sisters originated in that book and then kind of got reintroduced later on in a less creepy way yeah. in that book 
Wow. Um, so the reason I bring the other reason I bring that up is in the mid nineties, LucasArts came up with this idea of what they call Shadows of the Empire, which was the way they described it is what if we did all the marketing stuff that you would do for a movie, but there's no movie. Because this is part of like we've got to like ratchet up the hype until the new ones come out in '99. So Shadows of the Empire, it, it takes place between uh, Empire and Return of the Jedi, and it's sort of um, you know feeling and how do they track down on frozen and carbonite to get to Java's palace or whatever. Um, and there was a novel. Uh, there was a soundtrack to the novel, which is actually the whole project. The best part. It's, it's by this guy, Joel McNeil. It's really good. You find it on iTunes. And part of it made it into the game, too. Um, but he composed it explicitly with the book. But it was weird because it was also LucasArts betting big on the N64. Um, it was an N64. I later got poured to PC, but they didn't make a PlayStation game until the uh, aforementioned Masters of Teleskasi fighting game. Um and the game itself is, uh, eh? It, the first level is the Battle of Hoth, and it's amazing. And the rest of the game is uh, not great. He plays this guy named Dash Rendar, who is literally just, we need a Han, but we can't use Han, so let's just get a guy who is from his planet, knows him, kind of looks like him, makes the same wisecracks, <laughs> kind of looks the same. Um, who conveniently dies at the end so we don't have to worry about him showing up anymore. <laughs> uh, but what they did later is they took the first level of that game that everybody liked and they turned it into the Rogue Squadron series, which it's, it's these are, it's, let's think of a third person, so you're not in the cockpit like an X-Wing flying around doing different missions between the movies. And that was on Nintendo 64 and on the GameCube. So I actually haven't played the second two in the series because I never got a GameCube. Um, now you mentioned Knights of the Republic. Have you played that? I played it. Um, I didn't get very far because it was on my brother's computer. Um, and my brother moved off to, to college, and so I had to stop playing it. But um, I remember I really... I wasn't a big fan of the gameplay, but I was... I really liked the story, but uh, I, the gameplay, I was, uh, I, it's not my cup of tea. Um, yeah, because it's sort of, um, they had done two very technical Dungeons and Dragons games before that, the Baldur's Gate series. And that was on um, second edition AD&D rules. Like, you guys are probably, if you, even if you play D&D, too young to know what Stocko is and things like that. Um, never played Dungeons and Dragons used to be. Yeah. Really, have you? Yes, I've played. I I was dungeon master for a game a while ago that sort of petered out. Um, but I am surrounded constantly surrounded by people who love D and D, so I am typically always immersed in some way in the world of Dungeons and Dragons. It's amazing to me how technical it used to be, and they I mean, I would, you know, and I would, even in grad school, I was talking with older guys, and suddenly some guy would come out like, is that just a large bag full of 50 dice, Todd, of varying sizes? 
Yes, it is. All right. <laughs> um, so you're trying to marry that gameplay system, but the, the much older one, to Star Wars. So it's an adjustment because it's not even as smooth as like Mass Effect, mm-hmm. which is kind of what they did afterwards. So the story behind that was Lucasfilm gave them two options. They said, you guys can do an episode two RPG, or you can do something, say, 4,000 years in the past. And they <laughs> took the second option, because it's more creative freedom. Because <laughs> yeah, you can do, like, it looks like Star Wars, and really all they had to do is they would just, they got to have everything approved by LucasArts. But they said, like, most of the notes we would get back would be like, just make this head a little bit bigger, or something like that. Like, it, they don't think they really disapprove anything. And you can, it's, it was sort of the first of like the Bioware 3D formula, which mm-hmm. the Mass Effect is where they really developed this. So what does that mean? How do you get side quests and build relationships romantic and otherwise? You just keep talking to characters on your ship until they like you uh, and tell you about a side quest or something as you go to these different planets. Um, now, admittedly, uh, for teenagers playing like Mass Effect, this teaches a very strange way to date women where it's just like, if I talk to her enough and I do a side quest, she'll date me. Um, <laughs> and obviously, like, doesn't work that way. Um, and you have the morality system, too, of light side and dark side with different powers. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the dark side gets cooler powers. But everyone's like, levitation of force lightning. I don't know. <laughs> um, but the sequel uh, was by a different company called Obsidian, and they also make a lot of great games. But what was interesting about the sequel is that it tried to go in a direction of, um, for lack of a better term, like a gray Jedi. Like, if they were trying to figure out, is there a way out of this strict dark side, light side dichotomy in the Force? And I think that's something like the, some of the TV shows especially have tried to kind of um, play with more, maybe more so than the movies. Um, but mm-hmm. this was really, I think, the first and only game to really try to do that. Um, and then, Bioware came back for the massively multiplayer online RPG, The Old Republic, which as far as I know, is still going. Yeah, it's uh, free on Steam. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of, they've kind of looped in a lot of the tour stuff as in a sequel kind of way but I don't I, I don't know if it counts as canon anymore I think Disney just kind of I, I don't want to criticize Disney the novels are getting too crazy um, it's good to throw that out I guess so is there a good bridge here let's talk about Battlefront I um because it's two stages mm-hmm. I the only one that I haven't played is the original Battlefront. I played the the second. I, I played the sequel to it. I never played the the actual original one. And the one that I like the best, I think, is actually the the two thousand five Battlefront two. I just, I think that one is. I think that is. I think I think that I think that is the best one. Um, so it's been built on like what went right and wrong in the first one and then uh turned out pretty good product. But I think that was one like the last some of the last big Star Wars games. And certainly kind of original ones but then it's much more like close movie tie in um kind of stuff. 
But before you start talking about electronic arts, there is the great lost Star Wars game that got canceled when Disney bought them, and that's called Star Wars 1313. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever heard of this one? Yeah, that's the, um, the that was supposed to take place on Coruscant, right? And you played it, you played as Boba Fett, if I'm not mistaken? Or... Yeah, it was sort of your young Boba Fett mm-hmm. in the underworld of Coruscant. I think they had brought on, before it got canceled, if I remember correctly, they had brought on, um, what's her name, is Amy Henning, who was famous for working on the Uncharted games for Naughty Dog. I think she left after Uncharted 2 and then went to LucasArts to work on this, but when Disney uh, bought um, Lucasfilm uh, in 2013, they just canceled everything. Um, and nothing of this game has ever really resurfaced in anything. Um, would be really, kind of, I know they can't do the same time, it would be kind of cool if movies and stuff comes with The Mandalorian. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, uh, that's the great book could have been. It's a great book by, uh, he used to report for Kotaku, now who works for Bloomberg, a guy named Jason Schreier, and the book is called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, and it's the behind-the-scenes story making a lot of different games, and that's the one chapter in there, you know, a game that didn't come out. But there was a lot of work done on it mm-hmm. before everything kind of everything kind of shut down. Uh, yeah, I never found out about it until like you know a couple. I want to say a couple of years like after it, had, you know, after Disney had bought Lucasfilm. But um, I kept hearing, and it it just seems like such a a tragedy because. I think everybody just sort of agrees that I had like so much potential to be something cool and a great game. But. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like by the mid 2000s, I think kind of the LucasArts golden age in terms of their whole output, not just Star Wars, had really kind of started to peter out. Um, you know, a lot of the big names from the 90s, they had moved on to other companies like folks like Larry Holland or Tim Schaefer. Um, and now it's just a licensing company within the Disney Death Star, all it does. Um, so they gave the license to Electronic Arts in 2015 or so, which was terrible. It's a very terrible company. Um, yeah. They, uh, like BioWare, they bought BioWare, um, between Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2, and it's, it's, you know, I think it's very easy to tell a narrative where bio with a downfall of Bioware, and I think they're really in a nadir of a company as a company right now, between um, the reception of Mass Effect Andromeda and just how shitty Anthem was. Yeah, uh, and I think some of it's kind of self-inflicted on Bioware's part, but I don't think EA kind of helps. Um, so one of the things that made it really difficult that they made, I think, difficult for their developers was that they wanted to force them all to use something called the Dice Engine, uh, which was which was developed for battle, um, Battlefield, like Battlefield One. But what Bioware found some assets in Jamina, and I think what um, the people who did Battlefront found is that that engine is not as um, I guess it's fungible or transferable to different genres like the Unreal Engine is. 
Like with Unreal Engine or Fortnite, which is how Epic made a lot of their money at first, you can do all sorts of games with the Unreal Engine. You can do Fortnite, obviously. Um, Mass Effect Jedi Fallen Order is done on the Unreal Engine. So you can do a whole bunch of many different kind of games with it. Um, whereas dice can be used for um, basically Battlefield and Battlefront. But when you try to make an RPG out of it, it goes, it became a disaster. Mm-hmm. So the first Battlefront, the first new one, uh, was all right. It just, it just looked a lot like the movies. But I'm also a guy who just, a multiplayer only game, I'm out. Uh, the closest I'm gonna get to that is uh, um, trying this new Avengers game where I think you kinda have to for the end game, but I'm not, it's not my, it's not my first choice. Like, I'll play Grand Theft Auto Five, but I'm not gonna go to Grand Theft Auto Online. It's like two seconds later, somebody's run me over and is saying a lot of very bad words you should know because I was a 12 year old. <laughs> but one of, my, one of my students that I taught college, um, he fought in Iraq. He wouldn't play Call of Duty online because he doesn't want to have some kid call him a noob. What's he going to do? Like, I think this is real. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm also like you. I prefer the, the single player sort of story games. Um, and so I'm kind of curious to hear uh, what you thought of Fallen Order um, if you've played it. I haven't finished it. I played through a good chunk of it. And I, and I like it. I like the way the lightsaber combat works. Um, but it's... I've also played, like, all the other games that's ripping off. Um, so you can really see the Dark Souls being there. You can... Um, oh, look, it's Uncharted climbing puzzles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's that Metroidvania uh, type of thing where um, I gotta go back, I'm gonna have this new power or whatever. But the problem is, is that instead of giving you like decent collectibles, um, it's just, oh, it's a new poncho. Oh, it's a paint job for my ship. So, for the one thing, I'm a video game completionist. So, like one thing I did in June was I put in 180 hours to Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I just did everything like not the random daily missions all the plot missions side missions expansions and everything so i'm just this weird video game completed mm-hmm. so it's to me it's kind of refreshing like to be like hey it's just a poncho i don't have to worry about finding that just kind of focus and and go through um and play with stuff i didn't think she's sorry um i i just think that so many crap games for so long and this one was just it was good. Mm-hmm. It wasn't great. Um, it's not like Dark Forces or, or Jedi Knight, um, but I would like to see what they could build on it. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you look back now with Mass Effect, like, I don't like playing the original Mass Effect that much anymore. Like, a lot of the stuff, just the gameplay systems and things haven't aged well, but then I see what they took and built up like Mass Effect 2, which mm-hmm. I still love replaying, and Mass Effect 2 and really streamlined this stuff. Um, so I'd like to see what they did. Plus the company, the people who did Fallen Order, the developers, um, Respawn, um, who did Titanfall, they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. They have a good track record. So um, I'd like to see what they will do. I'd like to see what they'll do next. Um, 
And we think, you know, at this point now, I don't know where we're going to get another movie. It would be nice if they just start trying to tell more original stories again, like they did in Fallen Order. Um, and, you know, not try to do the thing that they were doing where if you wanted to get the full story of the sequel trilogy, well, okay, see the movies, and then also read the tie-in novels, and then the comic tie-ins, and then play these games, too. Um, and that's also a weird J.J. Abrams thing. He did that with the new Star Trek movies, too. Um, there was a, there was a four-issue comic prequel for the first Star Trek movie he did with Eric Bana, um, where if you didn't read the comics, you look at comics, if you didn't read them, you don't really get any of the motivation for Eric Bana's character in it. And also, I realize now, they also explain the backstory to the card TV show. But who's but going to know that? It, it just seems like this weird way of trying to tell a story where you've got to hunt stuff down and, um, you know, but you could only get this one key piece if you went to Target on this one day. I mean, I get why you do that as a capitalist, but... Uh, I but as someone trying to tell a story, it's not a very great uh, way to do it. <laughs> yeah, and, and the other thing, too, I used to have a real head for Star Wars trivia, although um, someone put online the Dragon Con Star Wars trivia quiz uh, last week with 50 questions, um, and they're impossible. Like, I, the only ones I knew were the Jedi Fallen Order ones, and I think there was one about the Mandalorian that I knew. But they're asking stuff like, what's the name of the Gamorrean guard who falls into the Rancor pit, Return of the Jedi? <laughs> so, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, what's, uh, what's Wedge and Tilly's girlfriend's name? Uh, stuff like that. It's like, um, it's like the Emperor Tiberius used to ask these random kind of questions at his dinner parties, like, what song? the sirens sing to Odysseus. Like, the ones that are so obscure that we don't know what possible answers there could be today. Um, not that I think he really knew either. <laughs> yeah, no, um, uh, I one time I cracked open a uh, Star Wars trivia book just for just for fun with a friend of mine, and um, there were some, like, super obscure things in there, like, oh, who do Qui-Gon and, like, Oh, who do Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan fight in the year like, you know, um, but it, it was like referencing some like weird planet I'd never heard of. Um, not referencing Phantom Menace, obviously, um, in the middle of like whatever. And it was, it was weird. One of them I remember was, what is Obi-Wan's height in the Phantom Menace? And I was <laughs> just trying to figure out how in the world I was supposed to get that. <laughs> um, one of my favorites was, um, I think it was coming out like 96, 97, so it's so out of date now. It's just like the Star Wars character guide. It was, as a book, they're basically, you know, it's Wikipedia, the book. Um, remember, there was a full, like, two and a half page biography of the stormtrooper who says, Look, sir, droid. about like how Smoke was handled in the sequel trilogy 
is that, you know, for my generation, um, you know, Palpatine was, until the prequels came out, he had a weird scene in episode five, and he was in episode six. And just that was it. That's all the information you got about him. And so these other authors went out and told other stories um, about him. And Kyle filled in some stuff. Um, and all of that happens well before, you know, episode one comes out. Because, of course, that was the other thing where it's like it's a phantom menace, and everyone in the audience has seen the original trilogy. like, it's him. He's <laughs> our serious. The voice is insane. How could, how did nobody else figure this out? Uh, and I, you know, I don't know how, you know, revisionist history this is trying to make these movies look better, but I think one thing that um, Ryan Johnson zeroed in on with a comment that Luke makes in The Last Jedi is that <clears throat> I think Luke is really trying to show, and the Clone Wars actually do a good job of this too, the TV show, that the Jedi in the prequels, as an order, as a group, they're just more of us. They can't detect this incredibly obvious, creepy-looking dude um, mm-hmm. who is clearly grooming this this little kid, and I mean that in that kind of negative sense. Uh, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. So um, to get it back full circle here, there are so many Star Wars games. If you look at list of Star Wars games on Wikipedia, this this dozens I've never heard of. Um, but I, I tried to kind of focus on, on some highlights. Um, and it's, it, it, was, it was really great going back just on YouTube and watching videos um, of some of these old games. Like I really want to go buy a joystick and play TIE Fighter again uh, at this point. Oh, I can play Dark Forces now. I just need a mouse. <laughs> there was one more thing I wanted to ask you, um, again, just because I'm curious, uh, knowing your, like, sort of your stance on old games versus uh, the newer games. Um, I, I was kind of curious as to what you thought about The Force Unleashed, if you've ever played it, because that came out while well, LucasArts was still making games, but... Oh, three oh five, yeah. Um, but it was, yeah. You know, I, I I keep meaning to try the Force Unleashed. I haven't tried it yet because my understanding is the first one's pretty good, and mm-hmm. the second one they could have skipped. Mm-hmm. I, I I wish I could have been this guy at LucasArts where it could have just been like a Star Wars fighting game. Yeah, I'm good. And just like with Force Unleashed too, just sort of like. Didn't we say everything we needed to say in Force mm-hmm. Unleashed 1? Like, he died at the end of the whole arc. <laughs> Why do we need to do this? Um, so I have to get back to it, like, um, you reminded me that, that I, even putting this list together, I was thinking to myself, yeah, uh, Force Unleashed is probably the biggest one I left off. And it was mostly just because I actually haven't played that one. Uh, I I played both of them and I I sort of agree that the second one is very skippable. It's still fun to play just gameplay wise, but the story is sort of all over the place. But the first one's pretty fun if you if you enjoy like a hack and slash uh, with force abilities type thing. Yeah, no, yeah, I definitely have to check that one out. But yeah, luckily these are all pretty easily available. I think it's like on PlayStation Now, for example. 
Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Have you guys done an episode about the expanded universe novels? Not uh, yeah. specifically <laughs> yet, yeah. So I know we touched upon that today, but boy, there are some, uh, there's some wild ones in there. Not even getting into the Yuzan Zhong War or whatever the, what, what most folks are called. We keep touching on to, we keep touching on them uh, here and there throughout a couple of episodes, but we've never done like a full episode on any, any novels yet. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, there, there are some good ones in there and there are some bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think the worst one was called the Crystal Star. And I remember. I think the reason why I didn't read too much Star Wars. There was a period where, like, I read a good couple of Star Wars books. It didn't last very long, and it all ended when I found this one that was just like so bad. I I couldn't. I couldn't <laughs> keep going with reading Star Wars. I forget what it was called. Um, um, I guess there are ones that were taking place in the far future, so it's like some descendant of Luke Skywalker who's using, like, space drugs, and his uncle... Those were comics, and I have them. They're, they're wild, <laughs> and they're crazy, and um, so luke's descendant so luke's descendant cade skywalker he's like he's 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 this druggie and like his father gets killed and he's like i renounce the jedi forever but then uh luke's force ghost comes back and it's like hey dude you gotta like get back into it because there's a sith lord he proclaimed himself emperor he's gonna do a lot of crappy stuff if you don't like if you don't step up uh, I only read the first two, so I don't really know where the story goes from there. Um, but I'm assuming he steps it up. He he either steps it up and defeats uh, Darth Crate, or he dies. Either one, you know. I I. <laughs> it was it was it, of the two that I read. It seemed pretty entertaining, but I mean, we don't really need that. You know, we like we don't need a story set so far in the future. I mean, Luke had been dead like maybe like over a, like a hundred years by that point. Yeah, it's um, it, yeah. The expanded universe is just this fascinating um, area, I, and I kind of miss just how wild it could get because Disney's not going to allow that to happen again. Um, I think that the, my understanding is the comics that Marvel's doing now, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on, like the Dark Vader series in the comics, um, and, so, and some of that stuff, where the novels are kind of just, like, a lot of the ones that were coming out with the sequel children, they seem to be trying to fill in, like, these hints, like there was something on Jakku that the Emperor really wanted, and there was something out in the beyond the reach of the galaxy that the Emperor was watching because he thought this might be a dangerous thing. Um, and, and ultimately, none of that apparently matters uh, <laughs> in the end. Uh, so, you know, again, it's... Like, look, I'm not... George Lucas didn't do, like, a ton of world, like, planning when he made Star Wars. Like, there was the world building, yeah, but I don't, I don't think he had all nine sketched out in 1976 or 77. Um, but you know, you just lay enough hints and kind of develop it from there. But this never even developed the hint. Do you guys know what um, some of Lucas's plans for the sequel trilogy were? All I know is that he at one point asked 
or Mark Hamill, if you would be willing to um, play Luke in like sort of an older mentor role, but I don't know much about his original <laughs> plans for the so, sequel. If you look at the novelization of Star Wars, the original novelization of Episode Four, which came out in the seventies, which is a fascinating book because there's some interesting differences in the movie. Um, not nothing like that. It's it's not like you know Obi Wan doesn't die or something like that, but just like little details that are in there. But it starts off as being as like being framed as an extract from this book called the Journal of the Wills. W H I L and so from what I understand these in the sequel trilogy were going to be revealed as like you know these are the guys behind the midichlorians and it sounds and a lot of it was going to like happen down at a midichlorian level so it kind of sounds like Fantastic Voyage meets Star Wars um, kind of like or Ant-Man going down to the quantum zone like that but that was kind of what Lucas was thinking for these um, basically got to lean real hard into midichlorians Mm-hmm. Trying to get, you know, it, it just kind of sounded like, oh, you guys thought that was stupid? All right, I'm going to double down on that. They sort of hinted, like, hinted at the wills in Rogue One because um, Chirrut Imwe, mm-hmm. Donnie Yen's character, was... He was one of the guardians of the wills, but, they, like, they didn't elaborate on that mm-hmm. at all in anything. So I, I mean, they're still acknowledging it, but, um, and I think there was a reference in the Clone Wars somewhere, but it just seems like something that Disney's trying to sweep under the rug, because um, I think even they, they might think that midichlorians are stupid, and they wanna, they wanna just, they want people to just forget about them. Oh, well, then they, they, their responses, they just like make up stuff like first healing powers. Now, I will say, to their credit, they somewhat planned that out because they, they must have told Favreau, hey, um, we're going to do force healing stuff now. You want to, like, throw something in there maybe, episode eight or nine of the, Man- of the Mandalorian, kind of show us how that works. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they, Baby Yoda was doing that in November, December, so then when that comes out, they go, oh, well, Baby Yoda can do it. Well, certainly, yeah, you know, Daisy <laughs> Ridley can. Yeah. Well, again, we we can keep on talking about these things. For, for oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much to talk about, and we're going to have to have you back at some point, because there's so much that we introduced here that we have to follow up on at at some point. Because, I couldn't you know, agree more. This was a great episode. It was, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah I, 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 I love doing this, so thank you guys for having me. Of course, yeah, oh, Dr. Thank Wright. You for jo- yes, thank you for joining us, uh, always. <laughs> and, um, Definitely more informative episodes for me definitely um so for across the stars my name is rowan wood i'm sebastian rickahoff and this is that's you dr right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so thank you all for listening or watching whatever medium you are joining us on um and uh we will be back next week with another episode hey bye